Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History Advocate Hemingway. I'm back with Claudine, and as we spoke about last week, we are continuing on our journey around Montmartre. This time, we're talking about the backside of the hill, and Claudine's going to give us more information on that. You can take a walk with this and learn as you walk or just listen to prep and get ready and decide what things you want to go see and then when you perfect and we are doing this for quite a few different areas in paris and if there's another area that you we haven't talked about that you want us to talk about send us a message well we will start at one of this is one of my favorite little things that's up there in montmartre Yes, and I love this little thing. And actually, whenever I write about it and share it on my Instagram, it always gets a, a, so many people that see it and 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 comment on it. Uh, but there is a little park that's down there, and it's called the Place Marcel Amy. Um, it is just it's all you know. It's not grassy. There's no like you know picnic areas in there. It's just kind of little long, somewhat narrow, little paved you know cobblestone park. It is named after an author, author. and Marcel was born in 1902, and he grew up in the country. He was inspired um, in his writing about the countryside of France. He was he contact, he he got the Spanish flu, um, and he used his de- his days of recovery to focus on writing. But until 1923, when he moved to Paris and tried his hand as an insurance agent, because that's what you would do. <laughs> And then he worked at a bank. Um, he decided he always just loved to write. So in his spare time, he would write. His books focused a lot on social criticism that rubbed many people the wrong way, uh, while others still loved it. In 1943, Marcel wrote his best known short story, and it's called Le Passé Mural. This is basically means the man who walked through walls. This is a story about Monsieur, Monsieur Dutiel who worked for the Ministry of the Registration, who was one day um, uh, just found out that he, and I still wonder how you find out about this. How do you figure out you could walk through walls? Like, do you just walk into walls? Don't try this at home right now. (laughs) And (laughs) yeah, yeah. And so he one day discovered that he could walk through walls. At first, of course, he was this scared him to death as as it would. Um, But then he used it to his advantage. He did it. He'd go into, um, in the middle of the night, he'd go into his office. He would um, do these little tricks on his coworkers and his boss that he did not like. Eventually, using his skill to commit robberies, um, he slipped in and out of walls, um, including the prison. He'd get caught. They'd throw him in jail. He'd just get out. One day, and this all took place right up there where we are. One day, he saw this beautiful woman walking down Rue Le Beak, um, and it was love at first sight. She was married, uh, but his uh, special trick allowed them to have time together to sneak into this home at night when the husband was away and get out before he returned. That sounds like... I think I think it was a very good trick to have. <laughs> he was visiting his doctor one day when he had a headache and his doctor said, you know, here's two pills. Next time you have a headache, take this pill and then this pill take to help basically get rid of, you know, this ability. And so one so he took these and he one day had another headache and so he decided to he reached for the pill, but he took the second pill 
not the first pill. So the next time he went to go visit his lover, as he tried to leave, he ended up getting stuck in the wall. And so you, that is what this, in this little park, there is a bronze stat, bronze statue that is him coming out of the wall. Like you see, you know, part of his torso and his head and his leg. And then on the, on his left side, his hand reaching out from the wall, it's all in bronze. And when you see him, some of the bronze is very shiny because you touch him. Um, it was done by a French actor named uh, Jean Marais, who also starred as the beast in Jacques Cocteau's La Belle et la Bête. Beauty and the Beast in 1946, um, long before Disney changed over into making it a cartoon. In 1988, Murray created this bronze statue with the face of the author for the plus and inaugurated on February 25th, 1989. The author once lived right above it. And if you, I will put a picture of the statue and also a picture of the artist. And it, it is, it's, it is his face. It is exactly him. But it's really cool. I always love to go up, go in there. You kind of touch his hand. Um, and then I, it's just always really fun to watch ah. people that don't know anything about it walk up and be like, what the heck is that? <laughs> but it, yeah, and you could, um, you know, you could go and I've, you know, I think you could, even, you could find this yeah, and download it online. You could get it in English. Um, and it's a, it's a short story. It's not very long. Um, and it's, it's just really interesting and it just makes you wonder, like, if you had that, what would you do? If you could walk through walls, you know, I think I would like just walk into the Louvre every day. Like when it's closed, I could, I would walk into museums and monuments all the, all the time, just by myself, just for a little bit. That's what I would use it for. <laughs> no. And so if, when you walk out of there and you cross the street and you take a right um, and you will come across a little park and it's the Square Suzanne Buisson. It's named for the resistance fighter uh, Suzanne Buisson who was um, involved in the Committee of uh, Socialist Women and believed um, in freeing women of domestic servitude and making them independent beings. Isn't it sad that we still do that? His for her first husband was a gentleman named Charles Guibault who was killed like in that. World War One. And she remarried Georges Buisson in 1926. In 1940, they left Paris for Lyon, where she decided to um, reach out to her former socialist group um, against Pétain and worked for the um, liberation of the South. In April 1944, she was arrested and later sent to Drancy and then to Auschwitz. She would never return, dying there um, at 60 years old in 1944. The park was... Very sad. The park was created and dedicated in 1951, but also makes a very special historical moment that actually once was there. And there is a statue to remember this. So we mentioned last week, Saint-Denis, and he is one of my favorite people in French history. In 250, the year 250, Saint-Denis and his companions, Rustique and Etulaire, were killed at number nine Rue Yvon Letac. And we will go there next week. Uh, Denise picked up, uh, Denis picked up his head and began walking, um, because he was, uh, he was killed. He was beheaded obviously because he was, uh, he came originally from Italy. He came up to France to, to help convert people to Christianity. So these, these priests in the church were a little jealous of the, he was so successful at this. And this was also their job. Like, who is this guy to come up here and just start changing everybody into Christians? This is our job. So they basically arrested him. There's a very famous painting in the Louvre. Well, I don't know if it's famous, but it's one of my favorites. It kind of, it shows Saint-Denis in jail. 
um, giving, being, being fed. And then it shows basically the moment where he's beheaded. So he is arrested. Mm -hmm. They decide that they're going to kill him and his two companions. And it was just right below the hill is where he, his head was chopped off, but he picked up his head, walked up, got up and started walking up the hill. He stopped in this park at this spot where there was a water fountain that was outside on the side of a house. And he rinsed his head off and kept on going. Cause that's what you do. Um, and they later added a statue there. So when you go there, there is Makes a sense. sculpture of, um, yeah. of Saint Denis holding his head and it's a fountain. It's obviously not the same fountain, but it marks that little moment with that is where he was. And he stopped and rinsed off his head. Yeah, it's a kids park there. So, um, and then when I went there yeah, a few years ago, spot. I think the I first time the, I went to the park, like five or six there. years ago, he somebody spray painted his head. Yeah, it was it was like six years ago, but somebody put spray paint on his head. I was very upset. And it's a rare you can Wait, find um, statues in churches and paintings of Saint Denis with his head. It's it's much more uncommon to find him with his head because he's always easy to find because he's holding his head. But there's other saints, which someday we'll talk about. There's other saints that are also were martyred because they also picked up their head and walked off. Yeah. And when I told a friend of mine that one day, I was like, well, yes, because Santini, you know, he picked up his head and kept walking. And he, but he laughed out loud so loud that... Uh, he was just like, are you serious? Like, is this real? And I was like, I'm just reporting the facts here. <laughs> huh? This is just how the story goes. I'm just telling it. Like, you, there are questions. Like, do it's your eyes facts. still work? Like, <laughs> I guess so. Um, but just right behind that, if you walk back, uh, if you kind of go to the park, to you go behind Saint Denis so. and kind of go say to your right, there's a little um, a stone stairway and you take that. You go to a behind a street it's called the uh, Rue Gerardon, which is a street that runs in front. Um, it was originally the uh, Rue de Briard, which is the it basically means fog. Um, it starts in the corner of the Moulin Galette and then comes all the way up there. It was named for sculptor Francois Gerardon who was one of the artists under Louis XIV who created many of the fountain sculptures at Versailles. He also did a statue of the Sun King that once stood in the center of Place Vendôme, um, where there is a smaller version of his foot that was in the Louvre that is now in the Musée de Carnavalet, which is definitely someplace you should go. He also did the tomb of Carnel Richelieu, which is one of my very favorites. But this area right here, just to the right of the Statue of Saint-Denis, in 1772, a lawyer named uh, Monsieur Legrand de Champ um, bought this huge piece of property outside of Paris at the time. Um, the property was covered. It had a vineyard. It had a mill. It had a barn on there. There was about a two-acre square um, of space that was located with a hunting lodge and a small farmhouse. Can you imagine all of that in that spot? Or how much, how much, I mean, it's definitely the spot's much large. It's smaller now, but how much property that took up Not at all. when you look at Montmartre now, uh, just before the revolution, like literally like yeah. a day before, um, he ended up, uh, selling the property in 1789. Uh, many years later, in 1850, the property was cleaned out and broken up. Um, uh, Modigliani once had his, uh, studio there. 
And then um, at the chateau there, the chateau also lived um, Gerard de Nerval, who we just talked about last week, in 1846, where he wrote a glowing article about the idyllic country estate there um, that would um, later, he was the one that would later go to the Folie Sandran. In 1889, uh, Renoir and his partner, Aline Cherigot, uh, who he married the next year, she was the one that when we talked about Suzanne Valadon, she got so mad that she scratched up the painting and then he had to change one of the city dances to Eileen because she was jealous of Suzanne. <laughs> Later, he would move across the alley um, where a young Jean Renoir played in the <laughs> fields um, surrounding the chateau with his brothers. Over time, of course, the land um, became uh, much uh, smaller, but for a period of time is where the grifters and the homeless and the gypsies lived. Which I just, you know, to, to me, when I hear that, I just picture this movie from the 1950s <laughs> of the people at the time. In the 19th century, a brick facade um, uh, building was added in, in there. The Most of the property, there yeah. is a pretty good size green space there, but it's most of it, it and it's, it's kind of high behind a gate. You can't just go hang out there. Um, VR, uh, Victor Piero was a president of the View Montmartre and historian. He purchased uh, it for part of it and restored it and later purchased the, by the Cassis family, um, who had the, was a master violinist and stayed in the family until it was sold in 2012. It is now two private residents. But it's this really cool, like you could walk down this kind of cute little, um, almost like a pathway, oh, a alleyway. Um, that goes down, kind of goes between it. And when you come out of that little place, it is another one of those most famous images that you see of Montmartre for the back of Soccer Cur. But the funny thing is, is those images never show you the lovely little uh, monument that's just to the left of it. They even like that movie that had Kevin Costner in it that was like three days to die or something. I just recently watched it when I was in Paris. Like, like supposedly that's where he's living is right there. The funny thing is, it's a, you yeah, never yeah. see the statue that's there and it's right there. And what it is called is the Place Dalida because she lives so close to there and where she, you know, she died in 1987. In April of 1997, in honor of the 10th anniversary of her death, the square was dedicated to her and a bust was added of her by Alain Eslan, who also did the life-size statue of her uh, in of her tomb that's at the cemetery of Montmartre. Um, but if we look at it, because it is bronze bust in every term, every way that term means... <laughs> <laughs> bust because it is actually of her bust and her uh, boobs, you could call it, are very shiny. The rest of it is patinaed, but her but her boobs themselves are shiny because you go up there and just like the hand of uh, Marcel, you rub her boobs. And the funny thing is, is to stand there and watch people because people are so timid and shy to do it. <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, but it's one of the most famous spots in Paris. But you, when you look at, well, I'll post yeah, a picture of this and the picture of the bust on my website. <laughs> but when you look at it, you're like, oh yeah, I know that street. I never knew that was there until you actually go and see it. It's funny because it's just because she's off to the left a little, so it doesn't capture. It's this kind of winding street that leads up to the back yeah. of Sacré Cœur. Um, it is the the street that leads up there is called uh, Rue Lavoir. 
it is um, a bendy cobble street. And so you get this perfect um, image there. But um, abreuvoir means to drink. Um, so it is said to be that because of the term, because of the water that they were bringing up there to Montmartre. Um, you walk by a very few, a few very famous um, Parisian landmarks. There is a beautiful on the left as you go by. There's this beautiful house that's always covered with ivy, um, and it has a special sundial on it. The home once belonged to um, Henri Lecoq, um, who was a, an historian. He was born in 1883. And fought in World War One, and later was famed for writing the history of Napoleon and the First Empire. He even spearheaded the restoration of Napoleon's house on Saint Helene, um, and served as a curator of the Mal, uh, the Malmaison, which is an amazing chateau outside of Paris where Josephine lived. The sundial on there um, is one of 120 that there are in the city. It has a rooster on it. Um, that says in in uh, English, it's in French, um, but in basically in English, it says, when you ring, I sing. So right past that, too, is another one of those famous uh, monuments of Paris, the Maison Rose. And uh, <laughs> this was opened by a woman and her husband. Her name was uh, Laure Germain uh, Gargolo. Florentin Pichot. She opened the Maison Rouge with her husband, Ramon, who was a painter. Um, who They opened it in 1905. It had a very small coffee house at the time and some um, rooms that the artist could rent up at Montmartre. It started out as being beige and not pink. Now we just know it as, you know, it's called the Maison Rose. Um, after she had made a visit to Spain and she returned and decided she loved there how all of the buildings were just painted in colors and so beautiful, she decided to paint it pink. Picasso frequented this space uh, many times and it was also um, the way that they are tied together. And I did recently, I don't know, months ago, saw something written about how this was all about Picasso. But it's actually, it goes back to his friend, Picasso's best friend, Carlos Casamegas, um, who we mentioned last week with uh, the Bateau Loire, met Germain in Paris and was instantly in love. She had been a dancer at the Moulin Rouge and Carlos was kind of obsessed with her. But he was also an alcoholic. Um, he was a drug addict and he was had some uh, issues uh, in the bedroom, we'll say. <laughs> issues as in having not being able to have any <laughs> so he so it kind of turned Germaine off she kind of was like he he just was kind of out of control like you know he couldn't he couldn't do anything with her he was a drunk he was a, a you know a, a drug addict on February 17th 1905 at the Cafe de la Hippodrome he tried to kill her before turning the gun on himself and killed himself um, just a few months later, um, she married Ramon. Um, the two purchased a cafe and ran it together. In 1925, oh, Ramon died and Germaine continued until she died of syphilis. The one that, the one that gets them all in 1948. But after a period of time after Carlos died, Picasso uh -oh. had a, a, for a short time had yeah. an affair with her as well. But usually when you read about this, it kind of, you know, because most people don't know the story of Carlos. And he was like, Carlos, when, when Carlos killed himself, Picasso went to a really, really dark place. And that's when the, as we mentioned last week, that's when the blue period started. So, it, but this was way, the story of her is so much more tied to Carlos. But because most people know the story of Picasso, they just, and it's easy clickbait to say Picasso. Um, but Picasso had a very short period of time that he was involved with her, but it actually didn't last 
last very long because he loved Carlos so much that he, it was just too difficult for him. Um, it was sold um, to a woman named Beatrice Melon, who wrote, who ran it for a few months, and then oh sold it to uh, Tortun, who and it was a uh, was a family name that was their last name Tortun. Um, it was painted white and became a tourist location in the nineteen seventies. Later, it was purchased by Beatrice uh, Melon's granddaughter, who still owes it owns it today. So the person that the family that purchased it originally from. Uh, uh, Germain is the one who owns it now. Yeah. And they like, thankfully have kept it pink. Um, right there though, you're on the street, not named the Rue Courteau. It's named for the 19th century French, French painter, uh, Jean-Pierre Courteau. It's, uh, his neoclassical status can be seen in the Louvre of my favorite place, as well as the statue of Louis the 13th in the center of Place des Vosges, which is we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that statue cracks me up because his, the statue itself, the stone, the belly of the horse was, it was starting to fall. So they just decided and they created basically a brace underneath it, but they made it look like a stump. So it just looks like this random horse stopping and resting his belly on a stump. <laughs> but it is, I do love seeing that one. Um, you are also right there on your left is going to be the Musée de Montmartre. It dates back to the 16th century and some of the, one of the oldest buildings in Montmartre. There's multiple buildings that make up the museum. Um, it was once the home of some of the greatest artists in French history. Um, of them, the one building, the Hotel uh, de Marnier, was once the home of Claude de la Rose and Rosimont, who was one of uh, Moliere's greatest actors. Pierre Tanguy, who I love, who we talked about two weeks ago in Saint-Georges. Pierre Tanguy also lived there at one point, um, close to all of the artists in the building. The other building, what is known as the Bel Air House, was once the home and studio of Renoir and Suzanne Valadon and her son, Maurice Utuyot, and also uh, Raoul Dufy, who I also love. It opened in 1960 as the Musée de Vieux Montmartre, the Museum of Old Montmartre, and the Jardin Renoir. And now you could go in there, and I know that this is one you love. Um, and again, we talked about Suzanne Valadon last week. This is, it was her studio, and you go in there today, and it's still set up as her studio. And it's just so cool to go in there and see it basically how she would have had it. It's just the coolest place. And it's it's not very, it's very inexpensive to go there. You, It's very easy to just walk right in and go to the museum. You don't need to really have a ticket in advance. They do, um, they do also have uh, special exhibits that go on. Recently, there was one um, last fall uh, dedicated to Raoul Dufy. And if you don't know who he is, I will post um, a picture of some of his paintings. They're bright and beautiful and I love them. Uh, but it's a really fantastic museum to go to. It has the uh, back in the garden, the Jardin Renoir. is uh, There is the very famous painting that uh, Renoir did of the girl standing on the swing. And that tree in that swing, obviously, I think the, the swing has been replaced since then. But it is the same one. And there's actually a plaque there. So it's really cool because you could go there and see exactly these spots that these artists painted, these paintings. Um, it's just a really cool, it has a little tiny cafe back there. And so the hours are kind of strange for the cafe, but it's great. You could go, I recently was there and went and had a quiche and a glass of wine one afternoon in the sunshine. And it also overlooks the vineyard that's there. 
Yeah, they do. I think they have one coming up that's um, the candlelight concert that they do back there. Yeah, and sometimes they do little shows back there. Really so. cool. Um, on that same street, when you walk out the door, take a left. At number six is where Eric Satie, who was a composer, lived, who was once the longtime lover of Suzanne Valadon. Um, he lived there from 1890 to 1898. Eric Satie um, is the amazing composer that did some of the best compositions of all time. Um, they lived next door to each other on the street. He was obsessed with her and he asked her, asked Suzanne to marry him. She denied and then became with, um, involved with the friend of her son, <laughs> Paul uh, Moussi, who she, um, then had a very long affair with the, the friend of her son. <laughs> God. Yeah. Just packs that there is a water tower that you can see everywhere from, um, uh, the Chateau uh, d'Eau, which is the, the, the water house, um, of Montmartre in square, um, that's the square named after Claude Charpentier. The water tower is built in 1927 and surrounded by a tiny square that was named for that architect, uh, Claude Charpentier, who was born in 1909 and who worked, um, to, Restore and the, to protect the historical statues and structures of the Marais and Montmartre. The street right there is the uh, Rue de Mont-Saint-Denis, um, which is what was it was originally oh. called um, up there before it was uh, the Mont, uh, of the basically the Mount of the Mont uh, Martyrs because of Saint-Denis is where Montmartre comes from. Um, it was named after Mont-Saint-Denis, which is in the Alps. Um, the Rue Carnel Guibon, who was the Archbishop of Paris and who was the one that had decided to have Sacré-Cœur built, um, who was also buried in the crypt of Sacré-Cœur, which we'll talk about another time. On the back, we look up and see at the back when you walk up um, up this street, you get to the back of Montmartre, which is the best part to go, or, or sorry, of Sacré-Cœur. Because the front of it is mayhem. I can only imagine what it's like at this very moment because there's so many people. But if you literally take about 20 steps and walk to the side of Soccer Kerr and go to the back, it's like nobody's there. It's so quiet. And you get this amazing view of Soccer Kerr because from the back is where you see the really great statue of Saint-Michel that is up on the top. Um, he is slaying the dragon in bronze. It was done by Francois C. in 1908. Um, the, the dragon slash crocodile represents the demon that he is striking up there. The cute little part there that uh, we know is also another favorite of um, our man of the uh, hour. <laughs> Coco lives his best life for sure. Living his best life. Well, you guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode and you have to head over to Claudine's website to learn more, to see pictures, to book her for your own private tour, and head over to ClaudineHemingway.com. And we are going to continue our Beaumart saga next week. So make sure you tune in next week to keep hearing. Thanks for listening today, guys. If you're interested in learning more about Claudine, her tours, history, and the beautiful photographs that she posts all over Instagram, tune into her website, ClaudineHemingway.com.